Welcome to another episode of Do Laws. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. And our, for our first episode of 2022, we're going to start with an article that came out in the New York Times a few days ago regarding marriage. Uh, this young lady writes, the title of the article is, What Does Marriage Ask Us to Give Up? And before I read through the article and comment on it, I want to talk about how in the day and age that we're living in, and I think in any age, there are people uh, who question the uh, word of God, who question its validity, who question its authority, who question its practicality in life, and chiefly because of their own sin. They want to do what they want to do. Um, they want to accomplish their own goals, their own lifestyle, and not be burdened by the constraints of scripture, so to speak. And they want to be able to be free from those constraints and live the life, live the life that they want to live outside of the truth of God. And we are all guilty of that. We're all uh, by nature sinners. We're all by nature enemies of God. So we we destined or we uh, try to do and want to do whatever will please us. And usually whatever pleases us does not please God naturally. Now, until you become born again and you have desires that are uh, brought about by the Holy Spirit working in your life that are pleasing to God, then and only then are your good works and everything good that you do pleasing to God. But as an unregenerate person, you have no care for the law of God, no care to submit yourself to it. And, and in fact, you criticize it and you set yourself up as the authority in uh, uh, your own life and want the world to conform to what you think and how you behave and how you live. And this is exactly what this young lady does in this New York Times piece. So let me read and I'll comment along the way. And she says, I spent most of my 20s and 30s single only to marry and then come to the conclusion that my marriage should end. Now I'm single again, but I'm not alone. My marriage ended during the pandemic while I was at home with my family. Since the pandemic began, my daughter and I have been living in what my family jokingly calls the compound, a house my mother and I bought together before I was married. She and my siblings and their families live there in an attempt to withstand, to withstand the waves of gentrification that have displaced everyone in my family every four to five years as the sketchy neighborhoods we can afford get discovered by rich young people. So she starts out by talking about her uh, marriage ending. She doesn't give any detail about why it ended, how it ended. Was it abuse? Was it... Uh, infidelity or was it just you know, we just wanted to go our separate ways and from reading the article i kind of get the gist that it was just something that they wanted to end and didn't want to deal with anymore so she continues that uh, what has not materialized is the intense loneliness that people warned me would come with divorce it was always interesting telling people about the divorce. Some friends with small children almost panicked about what would come about how the separation was too rash. But I am lucky in that most of my friends have lived lives falling in and out of partnerships. You can go it alone, you know, was the much more common response. So she's, she talks about how she was told that, you know, once you get divorced, you'll be lonely. You'll be scared. You'll be, um, you'll be walking in a dark place at that time. But she was saying that that didn't happen to her. And even a lot of her friends were telling her, you know, you can go it alone. You don't need to have a marriage. You don't need to be married. And obviously that's the way that we want to live today. I mean, most people want to live in a way where you're not held down. You don't, you're not constrained. You're not uh, submitting yourself to uh, one person for life, as the Bible describes as true marriage between one man and one woman for life. But of course, the world loves promiscuity, they love fornication, they love adultery, so they want to do those things. And obviously, marriage is antithetical to those things. So 
if if the marriage gets in, gets in the way of how you want to live your life and as a quote unquote free person not bound by the shackles of marriage so to speak then you don't want to you don't want to get married so she continues she says we are living through a time when all the stories the larger culture tells us about ourselves are being rewritten the story of what the new united states is what it means to be a man or a woman and that's obviously a key one what it means to be a child what it means to be what, what it means to love oneself or other people we are imagining all of this again so that these stories can guide and comfort us rather than control us now she says something very strike she says um, now all the stories of the larger culture are being rewritten now obviously that's questioning the authority because when i hear written and she says rewritten I'm thinking about what has been written in the Bible. As Jesus often said to his critics, he said, have you not read or it is written? And what has been written is what God has ordained regarding marriage, even regarding what a man and woman is. And as it says in the beginning in Genesis that he says, God made them male and female. And she's talking about how now everything's being rewritten. So it's, these things are uh, uh, now we're, we're, we are imagining all of this again so that these stories can guide and comfort us rather than control us. So she's already saying that the law of God is controlling and, uh, and does not, is not conducive to our comfort. It's more about control. And so she's already setting herself up to be her own God and thinking that she knows better than God. So she continues, it's a different world from the one my parents inhabited when they divorced, one in which many people tre treated their separation as if it were an infectious disease and shunned us for a number of years. Now, I don't know if she grew up in a church context or uh, just a regular neighborhood. I don't, I don't, obviously, I don't think it's right to just ignore somebody who's been divorced or treat them as if they have some kind of plague. There was the way people spoke to me when they thought my parents were married and the way the tone shifted when they figured out my mother was now alone. She says, even at the time, even as a child, I brussled up the assumptions behind the question, is, really just your is it really just your mother and you all? She says, it seemed obvious to me then, having lived in a two-parent home that was deeply unhappy and dysfunctional, that the number of parents around to make a working family was arbitrary. The people beholden to the rigid mathematics of mother and father and children equal stability were short-sighted, ignoring all we know of human interactions and ways we make family throughout human history. Now, here again, she, whether knowingly or unknowingly, she's taking a, taking a jab at what God has deemed perfect and proper for society. She calls it rigid mathematics, but what that is is biblical, where you have a mother and a father who are married. Uh, husband and wife and raising children together that is the ordained uh, institution that God has made for society uh, to function and whether we like it or not that's how God laid it down in the beginning that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they too shall be one flesh and obviously from that one flesh comes children and she's saying that this is but she causes rigid mathematics short-sightedness and, and ignorant uh, regarding human interactions again this is how the world sets themselves up as creator knowing all they take things that they think that they, they take things that they like and want to reject the things that God has laid down because they just don't like them and because and since they don't like them therefore they're bad and evil and rigid and don't deserve to be adhered to so she continues but the cultural myths around coupledom are hard to resist 
It was easy in childhood to simply decide there must be another way. It was harder in adulthood, after years spent marinating in so many cultural stories about what marriage could promise, legitimacy, maturity, stability, strength, to resist that programming. Marriage, of course, can be all of those, can be all those things to many people, but my own brought something different, which has led to this desire to be alone again. So again, she goes to her personal experience rather than the divine revelation of what marriage ought to be. Which is what, uh, which is a covenant between a man and a woman who come together under the uh, auspices of of God and their local church, who are uh, endeavoring to live a life of holiness and, and godliness and love for one another and sacrificial uh, care for one another, uh, and in doing so, they bring forth children and teach them to grow, to be mature, and to be stable and to be uh, 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 legitimate in the sense of being good uh, members of society, but more importantly is to train them up to be uh, obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to repent and to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what marriage ultimately is all about. So she continues, it says, there is a lot of hand-wringing currently about the decline of marriage in America for good reason, because again, children, uh, uh, families are the foundation of society. You don't have a society without families. And if you have families that are dysfunctional and that are deeply unhappy and, and all kinds of uh, broken brokenness is taking place in society, then people who are looking logically at marriages declining and divorce, divorce rates uh, uh, increasing, and even people putting marriage off at later ages, as she writes in her piece, then that's something that should be alarming and should be discussed and should be uh, talked about why it's happening and trying to stem that from happening because if you take the foundation out of a building, then the whole building is going to come down. So that's why people are, are hand-wringing justly so. So she continues, she says, Our culture may have changed to allow other ways for people to chart their lives, but whole industries and institutions, banking, real estate, healthcare, insurance, advertising, and most important, taxation, revolve around assumptions of marriage as the norm because the marriage ought to be the norm because that's what God has revealed and that's what this country has uh, adhered to uh, since its founding. I mean, the, the founding fathers talked about how this place was, this, this place could only hold together uh, for the Constitution specifically could only hold together in this country if the people were moral and religious and that more that religion and that those morals came from the Bible, whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, that's where they got a lot of their wisdom of how they structured this country. So if she's saying that uh, marriage ought not to be the norm, then she's again, chipping at the foundation that's holding the very country that allows her to make money writing pieces like these up. So she continues, she says, it can feel daunting to come up with new narratives about what it means to mature, to be worthy of housing and financial stability and healthcare, to find companionship or emotional support. When these industries have so much invested both financially and ideologically in a particular way of measuring life and community. Again, yeah, if you want to get rid of marriage, what are you going to do? You know, because I mean, it's, we're hardwired in a sense with the law of God. As Romans says the law of God is written on the hearts so when we look at the society today and we, we, we know children need their fathers and their mothers, we know, we know men and women ought to be married because that's how God has ordained the world to work. And when we try to uh, circumvent how the world ought to work and try to come up with our own narratives where we have throuples and we have 
homosexual marriage and all kinds of, uh, which is an oxymoron in and of itself. These things cannot hold a society together. These are not, uh, this is not how God designed uh, the world to work. Uh, it's it, it's akin to me, um, you know, trying to, instead of driving my car to the store, I try to drive my microphone to the store. It, it just won't work. I may be able to make some progress or make some kind of uh, advancement, but I'm not going to get very far and it's ultimately going to crash and burn because that's the mic is not meant to to drive on. The cars were meant to drive around, not not the mic. And that's, and that's essentially what she's uh, alluding to here. And then she goes on to write about a poet who wanted to just have a baby and, and not be a mother and found out that that didn't work. And she talked about how that uh, being constricted uh, in marriage is, is no longer a good thing. And it's, it's a struggle for control over her own life. And, uh, you know, how the Bible talks about how you are not even your own body. When you're married, you're like the, the, your body belongs to your wife if you're a man. And if you're a woman, your body belongs to your husband. And the Bible says that clearly, and I'll get I'll read that in a second. But so she ends this by saying that these lives threaten the communal narratives currently in place. But what is a threat to some can be to others a glimmer of a new world coming. So she was saying she's essentially saying that the these the constraint of marriage, particularly speaking, is more of a threat to your personal freedom and personal autonomy. And when actually it's freeing to be married, it's freeing to uh, live a life that is pleasing to God. Because, again, the Bible says that we are slaves to sin. We are slaves to unrighteousness. And once you become saved, then you become a slave to righteousness. Uh, you're a slave to doing what is good and honoring God. So no matter what, you're going to be a slave. However, you, you want to be a slave to righteousness and, and doing what is good and jesus himself says if, if the sun sets you free you are free indeed so again this is part of the deception of the world where you are wanting to be free you're wanting to be self-actualized you're wanting you're wanting to fulfill all your desires but in doing so you're just shackling yourself uh, more and more in the bondage that the world that the bible says that we are all born into so um, putting aside what she has said, let's go to what Jesus, the creator of the world, has said about marriage. In Matthew 19, verse 4, he says, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Again, remember, this is going back to this directly talks about what she has mentioned in her piece when she says that the stories of America are being rewritten, even what it means to be a man and a woman. Again, but Jesus is saying here that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. There's no other gender other than male and female, and you can't you can't transition between the two. That's how, that's what God set down. If you're a male, by, male bio, biologically, you're a male. If you're a female biologically, you're a female. I mean, by definition, your uh, your or, your sexual organs determine who you are uh, as as a as a human being, male or female, at, le at least biologically speaking. And then Jesus says in verse 5 of Matthew 19, he says, And said, For this cause shall a man leave their leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore there are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So this is what Jesus would say to this woman. God is the one who has ordained marriage. God is the one who has instituted marriage. God is the one who has 
put the parameters around marriage and, and define what marriage is, which is a man and a woman. A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they two become one uh, through physical union, spiritually, and uh, through everything. They, they, they share everything, even finances and, and everything is shared by a, a man and a woman in marriage. And Jesus is saying that what God has joined together, so that goes back to the beginning. God is the one who's brought marriage together. God is the one who ordained marriage. So he says after that, that man should not put that asunder. And so I think even uh, in the context is not necessarily, uh, I think he is talking about divorce here, as he, as he mentions in verses seven and eight. But I think the broader issue here is that you should not try to destroy marriage in and of itself because God is the one who has brought that together. God is the one who has created marriage for the benefit of society, not for the curse of it, but because the world is darkened in their thinking, what is good is bad and what is bad is is actually good. So Paul uh, reiterates this concept also in 1 Corinthians 7, where he says, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, so the Corinthians had asked him certain things regarding behavior in the church, he answers and says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Other translations say not to have sexual relations. Uh, nevertheless, Paul continues, to avoid fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, let, everyone, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. So Paul is saying that uh, if you want to engage in sexual activity, then you must do it within the confines of marriage. Meaning if you are a husband, you have a wife. If you're a wife, you have a husband in covenant and you are desiring to please them physically here at least. Uh, in that union and in that union alone and nowhere else that's that's what god laid down and he reiterates it through his apostle here and he continues in verse four where he says the wife hath not power over hath not power of her own body but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body but the wife so here again when you become married you are giving yourself up to your spouse you are no longer your own you are submitting yourself to to them and this is mutual when it comes to the sexual realm it says the wife hath not power over her own body but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body but the wife so it goes both ways my body is my wife's body her body is my body and we service one another in, in that respect because that is what god has laid down so we have to remember that god's rules and god's law is the way the world ought to work and we have no business and we have really we will have no success in trying to rewrite the rules that god has laid down particularly particularly in marriage marriage is a foundation of society it's a foundation of even a local church it's the foundation of everything that god has created and because because the first two people he created was a man and a woman and brought them together in marriage for them to procreate and that's the purpose of marriage. Um, that does not uh, put aside those who cannot have children because, because again, God is the one who controls the womb. God opens the womb, closes the womb, as we read uh, later on in Genesis in the story of Abraham as he came to Abimelech and he had lied about Sarah being his wife. And it says that God had fast closed up the wombs of the uh, Egyptians in that in that time period, in, uh, in, that, time, in, in that country. So... Uh, 
uh, even though God uh, ordains marriage and wants uh, us to procreate, ultimately he still retains the power to give children or not give children for whatever reason he deems purposeful because he is God. But because generally speaking, marriage is given to glorify God and to and to procreate and to create more children that will grow up to become men and women that will also glorify God chiefly by repenting and putting their trust in Jesus Christ. So I thank you for joining me on this first episode of the new year. I hope you have a great year and that you grow in your knowledge of Christ. And if you don't know Christ, I pray that you will repent and to trust in him for your salvation, that you would experience the joy and the freedom that it is to serve him in holiness and in truth. Until next time, uh, continue to serve our Lord.